pray for us. And then we'll dive in. Lord, uh, thank you uh, for your presence, your abiding presence in our lives and your love uh, that's always with us. Pray tonight that you would uh, give us your grace as we explore uh, the texts that we read and uh, preached on on Sunday. Um, I pray that you would lighten our darkness, Lord, and that you would protect us from all perils and dangers of this night. Uh, illuminate our minds and our lives with your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So um, what, uh, what, we're want, what I'm wanting to do, I mean, I've got, I've got a few things that I could say. I mean, always, right? There's always things to say. But I, I, I do want this to be uh, something that uh, resonates right kind of where you guys are at. Um, and so um, I wondered if we could start with, um, a few of those things. So kairoses or questions, uh, points of clarity or conflict uh, that came to you from the sermon on Sunday, or, or perhaps like we didn't get, I, I preached mainly from Genesis 2. And we didn't get a really talk about Matthew 19, but there's tons of stuff in there about like divorce and what's Jesus talking about there. We could talk about that. There's tons of stuff about Galatians uh, 3 that's really, really intriguing uh, to me that we could talk about there. Um, but why don't we just start with that uh, as a basis to say, where, where, did you got, where are you guys at with these passages? Where are you at with um, some of the stuff we talked about in the sermon? Um, who, wants, who wants to start? Offer something. The first thing I want to say is that as you were preaching, I was just very aware of never having heard it before this before during a sermon. Huh. Um, and it wasn't that like a lot of stuff was totally brand new, mm -hmm. but I was sitting here being like, I don't think I've ever heard a man stand on stage and say these things to me. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Great. And these, these things, meaning that, that, are you talking specifically the stuff I was saying about women kind of yeah. deconstructing yeah. some of the ways that we've interpreted that passage? Yeah. 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 Okay. And some of it, like I've had like side conversations. Um, mm -hmm. I have, I guess I've listened to a sermon, um, but I've, I don't think I've ever been present in a room where it was like happening. And I was like, oh, mm -hmm. this is like a really weird and very freeing feeling to be sitting here and... Yeah. Like it just, it felt like such good news. Mm. Wow. Good. That's great, Becky. I'm really glad to hear that. I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, I like to piggyback off what she said. Like, I, I agree with that. And like when I'm hearing the good news, I'm like, ah, <laughs> this is really good news. Um, but then I also like, the, I guess the conflict of it is like, this is really good news for me, like at the table and in the context of the table, but like outside of those walls, like I can't, I don't know that I trust that good news. Mm. What do you mean? Say more about that. Um, I think like, I'm probably I'm like I'm fresh off of Arkansas, so <laughs> it's even more like relevant. Um, but like where I grew up, like guys and girls aren't friends unless like other things are happening. Right. It's you know? going somewhere or it already has gone somewhere. Right. Like somebody's getting something out of being friends. Um, like I can't. I don't know that I could name you two people in my family that haven't had extramarital affairs. Like, wow. I don't know that I could name you 10 people from the town that I grew up that haven't had affairs, you know? And mm. so it's like, I hear this good news. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is such good news. I long for that. I hope for that. How the heck is that practically applied to my life? <laughs> Whenever yeah. I haven't seen that. Yeah. Like the relationships within the table are a completely new dynamic mm -hmm. and it's both terrifying and freeing at the same time wow. and a little infuriating because I'm like, okay, yes, this is so great. I love this. But as soon as I step outside the church walls, it's like, all right, put your guard back up. Yeah. The real world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Wow. So much sense too. Like what you're saying. Cause it, 
like a lot, the church has this script of how men and women are. And so it's like, people are just following that because they don't know other ways. So like, instead of being like, I just really enjoy spending time with this person because I think they're a fun person. The only way we know how to see it is like, you either have romantic feelings for them or no feelings at all. And so that leads to things. Like, whereas opposed to just being like, I can be friends with Ben because I enjoy conversing with him, you know? Um, but when you only have a script of it's either romantic or it's nothing, then it's either romantic or it's nothing. Right. Or like, do you have, it's almost like you have to DTR the relationship. Like, yeah. listen, <laughs> <laughs> right. here's where we're at and here's where we're not at. Yeah. Now we can be friends. <laughs> Can I ask a question? Sure, Isaiah. Um, this is really interesting hearing both of you, Mallory and Becky. You know, uh, Mallory, you said that like the walls go back up outside the table and it sounds like Becky, you know, you sort of had similar experiences. Are you talking about, are you guys talking about um, in religious context or are you guys talking about uh, just in everyday life as well? Because I, I, I say that because I feel like my experience has been similar to yours, although I think maybe with more freedom because I'm a guy, but only within church context. Once I get into the workplace, like men and women are friends, men and women are normal. Everything is, you know, everything's, you know, there's always like a little bit of tension there, but it's, it's only in the church. I feel like I've experienced that, but I wonder what it's been like for you guys. I know. I'm going to go first. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, I guess I'm comparing two things. So um, I worked when I was, lived in South Dakota, I worked in a small office for four years and was really close to my boss um, and never felt weird about that relationship. Like, like we had a pretty like, intimate relationship because like I was his assistant, like I knew him very well. Like, so um, I, and I never felt like that never felt weird or uncomfortable. In the setting I'm in now, I have a coworker and when I feel like we're getting too buddy-buddy or too chummy, I'm really self-aware and wondering what other people are thinking about it around me because of the environment I currently work in. And so I find myself being like, oh, I want to like back away from this conversation now because I feel like uh, even though I have no feelings towards you, I'm worried about how other people are going to perceive our interactions. And you work in a religious environment, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I didn't experience that where I worked before. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, like, it doesn't, I don't know, like, it's, it's been different at the table. So at the table, I feel like there's freedom. Like, we have these conversations that, like, free you of the tension. And so for me, it's like, okay, oh, like, I can finally, like, relax and, like, be present in relationship with people, like, of the opposite sex. Um, I think outside the church walls, like anytime I'm interacting with someone of the opposite gender, like it's in like the forefront of my mind is like, what does this person want from me? What, what are they like, what's this interaction like meaning outside of like what we're saying? And then I think too, like in the context of previous churches, like I had that in my mind, but I also had like the, you should be able to trust them. Why don't you trust them? This should be a safe place. Why isn't it a safe place? You know, like one of them is like, I'm just wondering what's going on. Is this something weird? Am I just being weird? The other one, it's like, okay, I know that they know the rules here, but do they know the rules here? <laughs> um, so I think it's kind of like the same, only now I feel like I have a place where I can like take that, like guard down a little bit. And then like, as soon as I'm like, not in that context of people, it's like, okay, let me like be aware again. Mm. Yeah. Do you guys think, um, like, what do you think accounts? Is it just, I mean, earlier, you know, Becky, you said it was just like, you'd never actually heard things said like that in a sermon. Like, do you think that that's what accounts for, I guess, the feeling of, because I, I hear you naming, Mallory, like a feeling of safety. Like, it's safe for me to, like, I don't have to have my guard up. Um, you know, it's, it's not like you become 
you know, unwise, obviously, like there's still things that are probably unwise to do and, you know, inappropriate relationships can happen, obviously. But do you think it's, do you think it's kind of the, the naming of that up front or is there, I don't know, I'm just wondering kind of what accounts for the different culture that you're noticing or if you know, I don't know if you know. Part of it for me is not feeling like you guys have your guard up. So like going through the College of Preachers, like I feel like I got close with all these guys and none of that was weird. And so it's like you are being real and vulnerable with me and I don't feel like you have your guard up. Whereas I think that there are other situations I'm in where I can sense that the guys do. And so it puts me on my guard. And I think I'm also extra sensitive to it being single. Um, like I don't worry. I'm like, I don't want you to think I'm like, you know, have interest. I'm actually interested in you, which I'm sure is the same when people are married, but I think I'm just extra sensitive to it because I'm not married. Um, I don't want people to perceive something differently. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Like, so, there's, there's, so there's part of it that's like, like in a culture where that's perceived like men and women uh, who are not married sort of like talking to each other or, you know, be, becoming close or be friends or whatever, when that's perceived as dangerous, like, it's like everybody picks up on the danger and we all start acting like we're, we all start acting like each other are dangerous. Absolutely. You know, like yeah. women, women are dangerous because, you know, you've got bodies and you, and, you know, that's basically it. We just have bodies. That's you why do have talking. bodies. That's the, re that's the reason you're dangerous, basically. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like, they're sometimes painted, you know, is like, oh, you, you know, you better watch out. Uh, and then men are dangerous then because they can't control themselves or, you know, or whatever. And so we end up sort of just having our guard up with yeah. each other all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Youth group didn't do any of us any good. <laughs> <laughs> really jacked all of us up. <laughs> yeah. You know, I... Uh, there, there's somebody who just came out with a book, a memoir uh, on the evangelical purity culture. You guys see this? I saw your post about it. Yeah, it's a book called Pure, and uh, ooh, it's a it's a doozy. She has an interview on NPR that you can listen to where she talks about the book and talks about just the the, the toxic shame that resulted from this purity culture um, because you end up like that. That was the tool. To, to make sure that you stayed pure, which was way more than just like not having sex before marriage. It was like no impure thoughts, you know, like you know, all of that kind of stuff. Like the tool that was leveraged for it was, was toxic shame basically to say like, you've got to, you've got to stay pure or else you're tainted. You know, you're, you're damaged goods. You're broken. This is a, like a kind of a rabbit trail, but I also think there's like an extra level of shame in it for women because men are expected to be that way. And so mm -hmm. it's talked about, whereas yeah. like, I know a lot of people, like I know a lot of women who struggle with porn addictions mm -hmm. and it never is talked about. Mm. Um, and so like in youth group and stuff, I remember, you know, like they would separate the guys and girls and they would talk to girls about being modest and they talked to men about their sex drives. Oh. Right. Um, like it's an extra level of shame of like, not only are you having these thoughts and feelings, but you're also not supposed to because you're a woman. Right. Right. Yeah. It's not normalized. Basically mm -hmm. what's normalized is, Hey, careful how you dress, yep. you know, but that's probably the main thing you're concerned about. Mm -hmm. You know, your main problem is you're probably a little naive, yeah. you know, <laughs> like <laughs> rather than, uh, I think that it's such a toxic thing too. And I, I mean, I still hear a lot today that like men only want one thing or they're only thinking about one thing or this, yeah. this idea, like I can't, I hear this. I mean, all the time from people I know well of just like how much men care and want sex more than women. Right. And I'm not saying it's not true, but it's said in a way that like desexualizes women yeah. um, and paints men as like, as a, this dangerous thing you have to be careful and watch out for. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And as a yes. side note, I also know have multiple friends that the women woman has a higher sex drive than her husband. So I also we're just don't. debunking. We're debunking all the myths. We're poking holes in all of them tonight. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, good. Uh, that's encouraging. Uh, 
that's encouraging for me just as a pastor at the table to hear that this, you know, it is creating a culture where people feel a bit more free to, uh, to talk about these things and to kind of escape from some of the toxic uh, shame and stuff that comes with, with those things. It's, I think I mentioned this on, um, I think I mentioned this before on the class, Josie was uh, talking to me about it or emailed me or texted. I can't remember what you did, uh, but communicated with me somehow uh, that this podcast series was really helpful. So if you're interested in, if you're interested in hearing more about like the hermeneutics of the biblical passages that are oftentimes used to uh, kind of um, uh, de, um, de- <laughs> I can't think of the word, like de- dehumanize or, or I guess uh, cre- create the hierarchy of male over female, right? Um, and a lot of them are in Paul. And um, so a lot of people have felt like they have to choose between like equality for women and the apostle Paul. They've had to choose between those two things. But um, there's, a, there's a podcast series uh, called Almost Heretical. And um, it's two former pastors who um, basically go through, they have a series that they did recently where they go through each of those passages, those problem passages, where Paul seems to be saying things like, you know, women should never have authority over man. Um, and he does say that, obviously. But uh, they go through and talk through basically um, how each of, the, each of those passages can be interpreted as Paul, like we have, we've interpreted them in the way that we have interpreted them, basically because we've come at it with a patriarchal lens. We've assumed this is, must be what Paul is saying, right? But there's actually a lot of evidence to show that Paul was actually talking, uh, you know, the opposite, saying the opposite thing oftentimes. So one of the things that blew my mind was, you know, the passage where it says that uh, a woman should not have authority over a man. And realizing in that passage um, that we've assumed that that means a man should have authority over a woman. We've assumed that the inverse is obviously what Paul is saying. But that's actually not what Paul is saying. Paul never actually says that anybody should have authority over anybody. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And so he was probably dealing with some problem, right, in this church specifically where women were sort of claiming we're in charge, you know. And so Paul's addressing this very contextual specific issue in Ephesus, which had the, you know, the Aphrodite cult that basically said, like, women should be in charge. And so Paul says, no, like, that's not how the church works. Like, women aren't in charge over men. But we've just inserted into there, oh, that must be men are in charge, (laughs) right? But actually, no, like Paul never says that, right? Another thing that blew me away when I first learned it was um, that men and husbands are never told to lead their wives or their families. They're never told to lead anything. Isn't that interesting? They're told to love, right? Anyway, so, uh, so if you want to listen to, if you, wanna, if you want to hear more about that, um, it was really, really enlightening for me, really helpful for me uh, to be able to hear that podcast series, Almost Heretical, uh, because they go through it really, really thoroughly um, and talk through each of the contextual issues. And it's, it's kind of remarkable because I can't listen to the, I can't read those passages now without sort of seeing them in this new way. It sort of feels like, well, duh, it's, it feels obvious once you, once you see it. You're like, oh. Okay, Ben, you just blew my mind. <laughs> Where on earth do we get the idea of men leading then? If he doesn't well, I, th- I think we read it into the text when we hear that men are the head. So men and husbands are called the head, right? The husband is the head of the wife. Um, and so we, we get the idea, we think that means that they lead, that means they're in charge, that means they have authority. Um, but that, that and, it, and head can mean that, right? So in the ancient world, head can mean that. Um, but in the context of Paul, um, Paul almost, he never, he never says anything like that in any other place. And there's also uh, prominent examples of women who were leading you know, in, in the church. And so you sort of look at it and, and hermeneutically you have to think, Paul must be saying something else, right? And I think you get a clue. And this, one of the books that was really helpful for me was Men and Women in the Church by Sarah Sumner. 
It's another one if you want to check it out. That's an older book. Um, but she talks about this in her book. It was really, really helpful. She said that um, the relationship of head and body is, number one, it's, a, it's, not a re, it's not a metaphor about leadership. Like, because think about it. Head, like, I don't say, like, my head leads my body. Like, that's sort of nonsensical, right? My head doesn't lead my body. Like, the, the metaphor is a unity metaphor. It's, it's, it's two parts of one body. So the, the metaphor, first of all, is a unity metaphor. And you look at the way that Paul uses that metaphor in other cases, and you can discover maybe what it means. And so, first of all, husband is the head of the wife, right? Or man is the head of woman. Uh, God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of the church, right? So those are the three things that, that Paul says, head, body. So Christ is the body. God is the head. The church is the body, Christ is the head. The wife is the body, the husband is the head. So when you look at those three things, like you could, I suppose, conceivably say that that means that one of them is in charge of the other one. But actually you run into a lot of problems, especially if God is in charge of Christ. God has authority over Christ. That doesn't really, that's actually a Trinitarian heresy. So, <laughs> you know, like that, that becomes problematic, right? Christ is in charge of the church. like. Is that what Paul was saying? Like he's just talking about who's in charge. So it's not, it's not either of those things. It's basically a, a metaphor of unity. And the, the difference between head and body in each of those pairs is that the head is less physically vulnerable than the body. So God is the head of Christ. Why is Christ more vulnerable than God? Because Christ has a body. Christ can be crucified, right? Christ can be spat upon and hit. God can't. He's a spirit. That makes sense? Christ is more physically vulnerable, so God is the head of Christ. Now, now that Christ has ascended, the church is more vulnerable than Christ, right? So Christ is the head, the church is the body, and we're more vulnerable because, again, we can be persecuted. You know, we, we can be killed. Christ is raised from the dead. He's no longer you know, able to be killed. And then the same can go for, then for head and body with, with husband and wife. In general, women are more physically vulnerable than men, right? And so what Paul is outlining is saying that there, if there are like unique roles or, or unique, not really roles, but like the head is the person who's less physically vulnerable. And so their task is slightly nuanced, perhaps, you know? So that, and that's where Paul gets into Ephesians 5, like husbands love your wives, you know? lay down your lives for them as Christ did for the church. Like, uh, like pour out your strength for them. That, that's kind of what, what the metaphor means. So um, does that make sense? And that, so, so it's just, you know, and so in that, even in Ephesians 5 then too, the, the husband's headship is not linked to the wife's submission, right? Even though Paul does say, wives, submit to your husbands. Right before that, he says, all, all y'all submit to each other. So, of course, that means wives to husbands, right? Because you're all submitting to each other anyway, <laughs> right? So, yeah, wives to husbands. Like, Paul was trying to, not to be too controversial. But then when he says husbands, he says love your wives. And so the husband's headship is related not to the wife's submission. It's related to her bodyship. It's just a metaphor, right? So what's the – and then the, the, the husband's love is linked to the wife's respect, which are very similar things. And the husband's sacrifice is linked to the wife's submission. And you read the definition of sacrifice in that passage, and it actually looks a lot like what we say submission is. Right? It's like foregoing what I want so that you can have what you need. Like, we think that's submission, but that's actually sacrifice. So anyway, there's more, there's more in, it in the book. I, I'm, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but... It's been really enlightening for me. That, that series has been really helpful to be able to read those passages in a new way. Good. All right. We can talk more about that stuff if you want. It's fascinating for me. Um, because I'll say one more thing about it, I guess, and then we can just go on to whatever other kairoses or questions you guys have. Um, the reason I included the Galatians passage in the, in the readings um, was because I think that's one of the clearest examples of 
like the reason that Paul is saying the things he's saying, um, you know, Galatians is mostly about Jews and Gentiles, right? It's mostly about, hey, uh, Gentile believers do not need to become Jews in order to become part of the people of God. So how do you, you know, we've, we've sort of thought it's about how an individual gets justified by faith, like how an individual gets saved, so to speak. But it's actually, it's more about how do you, how do you decide who's part of the people of God? That's what Galatians is about. How do you decide who's part of the people of God? And Paul's basic argument is um, Gentiles do not need to be circumcised and keep the Sabbath to be part of the people of God. Like you're all one in faith. You know, you're, you're, if you've been baptized, you've been clothed with Christ. You're one in faith. And then in the passage, he says, so there's no, therefore no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female. And the pairs there that he's lining up are pairs that have traditionally have had a power differential. So what Paul's doing here is he's talking about power. So the reason that male-female equality is so important to the New Testament and to Jesus is that um, the essence of what Christ was, uh, one of the things that Christ was, was doing in sort of the, the cross and the resurrection and everything was undoing the power dynamics that got set up in the fall. So we, we were at Genesis 2 uh, on Sunday, right? And we've got, uh, in Genesis 2, we've got uh, man and woman, harmonious, side by side, working together, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, right? It's a beautiful picture of them working together. We're going to preach on the fall this, uh, this Sunday. And then I think the following Sunday is when Matt will preach on this. And he'll, he'll preach on the kind of the results of the fall, the curse, so to speak, like what happened because of the fall. And part of what happened is, uh, what part of what happened is this harmonious relationship between male and female becomes uh, contentious. We, we now desire to have domination over each other. And that entering into the world is what creates these, these power differentials. It creates violence. It creates so that the relational harmony becomes disconnected. We become disconnected from each other. And of course, Cain and Abel is like, that's like, here's where it goes. Like, we're now murdering each other. Right? But it's named right away as male and female now are going to be fighting, trying to dominate each other. Like that's part of the result of all of this. And what Paul is saying in Galatians and throughout the New Testament is that dynamic has been undone by Christ. And so anytime there's a power differential where one group of people gets to dominate another, Jesus Christ and Paul and the whole New Testament says, no more, not here not in the church. We do not dominate each other in the church, right? And so a lot of what Paul is saying, and the reason that male and female has, has to be an issue is because traditionally men have dominated women. And so in this passage in Galatians, Paul is saying, so there's no, there, there's no more Jew nor Greek, no, Jew nor Gentile, right? So out there in the world, Gentiles dominated Jews in general. Inside Judaism, you know, the, the Jews were like, well, that's not going to be how it is here. We're going to dominate you. We're going to make you jump through our hoops. And Paul is saying, no, there's no more of that in the church. You don't get to dominate each other. Slave and free is another power differential, right? It's a socioeconomic power differential. The free people get to dominate the slaves. Paul says no more. And it's same with men and women, male and female. Like you, there's no more domination. You submit to one another now. Like this is how it is in, in Christ's body. This is how it is in the church. So anyway, I think it's fantastic news. Pass the offering plates. Joel, fire up a song. Let's do it. Um, guys, are there other uh, questions or, or kairoses that come out of this stuff for you? Yeah, Josie. Uh, I listened to the sermon this afternoon since I was with the kids on, on Sunday with Carmen. Uh, one thing that I was noticing for me was actually when you were talking about being in communion with people and yeah. um, just like trusting with not being alone and wanting to have like real communion with other individuals. Uh, what I noticed for me was I also, I feel like I, I do have communion with people, but I also have this wall of that I'm going to lose them. Mm. Uh, because I've, I've never lived in a home my entire life for more than three years since mm. I was born. 
So I've, I've constantly been moving. Um, my parents were missionaries growing up and then pastor's kid and went to college, New York, came back here. So I am just like in constant transition mm. and don't know how to just live with the same people for a really, really long time. <laughs> <laughs> and not that I don't want to. I really want to, but I um, was just recognizing, like, I don't think it's a, it's bad news that I haven't had that. Um, I also don't think it's good news. I think it's just kind of what God has given me, but I was just recognizing that um, the, the communion I have for people, I, I feel like I try to rush it and I try to have friends quickly. And Mm. I'm also worry I also just like in the back of my mind don't want to have like full vulnerability because I feel like I'm going to lose people so that's that's a personal kairos that kind of came out with me uh thinking through communion uh and you know yeah so anyway yeah yeah Yeah. does anybody relate to that I see some nodding heads you know uh, that part, part of, I mean, I definitely do as well, Josie, like part of, part of the risk of love, the risk of communion is that, you know, any separation sort of feels like, man, the closer I get, the more devastating it would be if you moved away or you didn't like me anymore or, you, you know, or I moved away, you know, that kind of a thing. Hmm. It does make it difficult. Any, anybody else have any comments on that? Resonate with that? Yeah, I think Josie, I really appreciate you saying that. I, um, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like I can't even count how many times I've moved. And even since Mike and I've been married too. So, um, and I think like I've just been in this place lately of um, really just longing for community and like longing to be known and I have a friend that I've kept friends with one of my dearest friends now that we've kept in touch, even though we've moved. And we just had this conversation probably on Saturday, just about like that desire to be known and to know others, you know, and it's just so hard. Cause I mean, now our culture is just growing more and more transient too. Yeah. So, um, but I, I don't know. I just like feel so much hope in, in our church because I feel like people want to be present and aren't just like looking for the next thing. And so there is like a security in being with the people who are like, these people are going to be here, you know, and I'm planning on being here. I don't, I'm also not like, Oh, I'm in school. So like two years from now, who knows what's going to happen? You know, it's like, I'm here. And I, and I, I feel peace at that, but I also like feel that turmoil because of like wanting more and wanting it now. (laughs) And I told my, my friend I was talking to, I'm like, it's also hard, like ge- the geographical distance for us. I mean, like we're near the Rockies, which has been really cool, like just connecting with them. Um, but it's hard because like, I love all of you guys and um, I want to like be part of your day-to-day lives. And it's just like navigating that is hard. And I emailed Ben this week and just shared, like I've been processing that for a few days. And then like, I was able to help serve communion on Sunday. And I just had this like, really profound reassurance from the spirit of like looking into all of your faces, like when you came to receive communion and just being like, what a gift it is just to be able to speak those words of grace to people and to be like, I love these people. Like I love all of you. And when I come in in together to worship on Sunday, even though some of you only see like once a week, um, there's just that sense of like that, that Christian love that, um, it's just a different quality than the love you have, like with your family member, someone you've known your whole life, you know, it's just like this binding together that Christ does and that the spirit does that it was just really fed my soul on Sunday. So, Mm -hmm. and then like your word about communion on top of that was, that's just, it was like really good for me. So, but totally Josie, what you're saying, like a hundred percent, I totally, I'm there with you. So. Yes. Yeah, thank you, Andrea, for sharing that. It was uh, meaningful for me to hear, for sure. And I think for others, based on the nodding heads that we see. Yes. Yeah, have you guys ever um, 
you guys ever heard, uh, I think it's Jean, Jean Venier. I don't know how to pronounce his name. He has, he's, he's written a bunch of stuff on community, but he talks about the three, three stages of community. I don't know if I'm getting the words right, but um, the concept is basically like the first, the first part of it is like idealization. Like this is great. Everything's awesome here. Right. And then it's like disappointment, <laughs> disillusionment, essentially like, Oh, like it's not, it's not so great here. But then, then there's another phase, which is communion where, where you actually learn like, Oh, okay, well we do, we do life with these people, these broken people who break their promises and, don't always live up to my expectations and who can't always do the things that I need them to do for me, you know, that, that kind of a thing. So I'm, uh, I'm hopeful for that as well. I get a little, get a little nervous sometimes that I'm, <laughs> I'm like, are we, are we still in the idealization stage or have we been disappointed enough in each other to, <laughs> to get there? But as long as we're committed to getting there. Um, yeah. But I, I hear that too on the uh, the distance thing, the the separation thing. That can be, that's a, a feature of our society that you have to go to great lengths to overcome. You know, I mean, we could all move into a commune together, but that, you know, that would take some discernment. Um, you know, um, I remember when uh, when we had um, our friends, the Harveys. This was when we lived in Fort Wayne. When they moved, like they they wanted to try to you know do this kind of life together thing as best they could. And so they, they moved eight houses down from us because it was the closest house for sale that they could find. Um, and so they moved eight houses down from us. And I don't know, how long was that? Like a couple years? A couple years that they lived eight houses down. And there was just a profound difference in our ability to just kind of be together because their kids could just walk down to our house, you know, like they could just show up and we'd text and say, hey, FYI, two of your kids are here. I'm hoping, you know, you know, um, and it was easy to pop in, you know? And so we even made little uh, rules about popping in, you know, to say, Hey, pop in anytime, but stick around for 20 minutes and then go, unless you're invited to stay longer, you know? So we, we kind of established these like, you know, guidelines and frameworks. I, I just found it really uh, fascinating. Uh, I guess how it changed our ability to kind of feel close to them if they could pop in, you know, and we could, it allows you to sort of just do nothing together too, which was really nice. Like when you, when you live far away, you have to do something together. You're always planning like, okay, let's have dinner or let's, you know, whatever. But sometimes they just pop in and we just do sort of nothing together. Like we'd all just be reading a book on our, on our own or whatever. So that was nice too. Yes. Good. What, what else? Anything else? Popping for you guys. Um, I'm good. Um, so I feel like kind of like sharing earlier what I was talking about, like having your guard up and like the table being a safe place, but not mm-hmm. still being able to say that for like outside of the table. I mean, I guess maybe like my Kairos just needs to be deconstructed a little more, but I feel like I find myself always wanting like, what's a practical way to like move forward hmm. in this? Like, hmm. I, like I, I long for those friendships. I long not to feel that way. I long to not wonder those things, you know, I think maybe yeah. it's like a lack of, of trust because of my perspective or what I've learned culturally, you know, I'm not, haven't really deconstructed that much. I just listened to the sermon this morning, but I don't know. Like, I think I'm, I feel like I'm stuck in this, like this idea or this good news that I agree with and hope to be true and see to be true in the table. Like how, mm-hmm. how can I learn to like live into that good news every day in every situation? Mm. I, I don't know, like, I, I guess I have a hard time, like, how can you practically learn to trust <laughs> you know, the good news? <laughs> like, how can you do that? Yeah. Um, so I think yeah. that's kind of been, like, my reaction to the, uh-huh. the biggest reaction to the sermon, like, okay, this is good news, now what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what's a do? Like, how do, how do I surrender to this good yeah. news? Like, how do I take steps? 
Yeah, because I think like this is just a tiny kairos of a gigantic one that I, I have, like having grown up with the perspective that I have with guy-girl relationships. Uh, I mean, I've talked to some people in here through DNA groups or coffees or margaritas, Josie, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or like, you know, talking through with Spencer and just I, I, like, I think this is like a mother load of a Kairos and like mm. this little blip kind of is like bringing things to front. Yeah, um, yeah I think like, okay, I've got good news. Like, what do I do with it? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's a great question, Mallory. That's a really good question. I, and I appreciate you sharing too, that uh, kind of feels like a big Kairos for you. So, yeah. um, I mean, I'd, I'd love to just hear if anybody has like anything come to mind as you, um, as you hear Mallory wonder out loud. <laughs> Not that you got to give great advice. Go ahead, Becky. Yeah. I, was, I think the first thing that came to my mind is just trusting it and practicing it. Mm. Um, so, you know, like actually, um, leaning in to some of the, like some male friendships. Mm. Um, and I think that like you've said that you have that sum at the table, like, and if you could press into that more, um, mm. that if that, if you can create that trusted safe place there, then maybe it'll spill over into other areas of your life. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's a safe place to start. Yeah. yeah. I w can I interject something too, though, Mallory? Um, Mike and I have had some very interesting work experiences, including like <laughs> Mike's had some people say pretty graphic things to him that were that they knew he was married. And like he's had like a woman this week at taught like hint at him about like going out for a beer. And he was kind of like, mm, I mean, is this like a colleague? Like they go out for beer or like, is this like you're asking me out on a date and you know, I'm married. Like, so I, I mean, I feel like, that's the hard part for me is like, there are times when you're like, I find like, I am a married person and I find this person to be attractive. Like, and Mike and I will talk about that. Like, just because you get married doesn't mean you're like, oh, no man or woman in the world. Like, I don't think that anyone's attractive anymore, only my spouse, you know? But then I remember I had a mentor who said, like we did like this woman's, like women in scholarship kind of a meeting. Um, and she was pretty much like, you kind of have to be honest with yourself too, because you have to be like, maybe like if you can be honest with yourself and be like, I'm like really feel that I'm like attracted to this person. That's not the person to go out and like get coffee with and build a friendship with. But mm -hmm. if you like what Becky was saying, like you, you know, like there's someone you connect with and you're like, wow, I really like, just feel like we have a good friendship and you know, we have a good conversation. That's like really edifying both of us and our, and I think it's like also being honest with your spouse when you're married. I think like Mike's really good at that. Cause he'll come home and be like, Whoa, you will not believe what like someone said to me today. And I think for him, that helps him to be like, you know, what's going on. I'm not hiding anything. And I can like share that this is happening. So I think that's the tension too, Mallory, that like, when I hear you say that, I'm like, yes, like that's in the world though. Like Mike went to conferences where like, entire segments of the people at the conference were only going there to hook up with other people. Like they yep. didn't really care about whatever that conference was about. That's what they were there for. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like feel that tension too of like, I think the table is a safe place because we all at least want to be committed to having pure but genuine relationships with people yeah. of the opposite sex. And that does not happen everywhere. Yeah. So I don't know if that. Yeah. You know, touches I on what both of you are saying. Yeah, I think both. Yes, I would say yes, yes to both of those things. You know, that there is a, um, like the church is the church for a reason. I don't know if that's a good way to say it, but you know, like it's meant to be this like icon of new creation. Like we don't live it out perfectly, but this is over and over in the New Testament. Like it's meant to be an icon of new creation where a place where uh, people can taste and see, they can come and see. Like what is, what happens when, you know, what, ha what happens when resurrection, you know, infects the world. And I, so, so I do think that there, and, I, and you guys have named some of that, like the culture is a little different uh, at the table and that it's intentional, you know, where we want. And I think there's a, there's a level of safety about the relationships we can have because we're kind of, we're all committed to kind of doing things in a certain way that if things 
you know, we'd be, we'd be committed to talking with each other if things felt like odd for any reason. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's part of it is just, you know, being able to tell the truth, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so, and, and that's why, and, and it's just not that way kind of out, out everywhere. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm sure that you wouldn't do that, but like, it's not like you can just say, just pick a guy and go be friends with him. <laughs> right. Cause it's a mutuality. Like there has to be, you know, certain kinds of expectations, that kind of thing. So, um, I, I think the only other thing I'd say, like if I was helping you process that Kairos Mel, like I might have more questions for you, um, or whatever, but, um, but sometimes a, sometimes a really helpful way forward is just to, just to keep noticing when you feel the, the, the backing away, right? Or the, or the question, like, wait, what's going on right now, right? Like whenever you feel that, like sometimes it's good to just notice it, just take note, you know? And sometimes you can start to learn some things about, about what's happening in those moments, right? Where you can just say, huh, it's with this person specifically, or it's this situation over here, or, you know, it's, so I, I think sometimes just noticing, just, just having your noticer on and say, well, what, I wonder what, is there a common thread to some of these feelings and that kind of a thing? Cause I, I would, I would say too, that some of what you may be picking up sometimes is a genuine sort of warning, you know, from the Holy spirit, perhaps, you know, like to, to say like, Hey, you know, like this, this other person's motives might not be on the up and up. Like they might, you know, like Mike's colleague, you know, you, I don't know, like, I don't know what this beer means, uh, you know, like, <laughs> I'm not sure what, what that would all be all about. So, so I don't know, but I want you to feel like you've got a way forward though. I don't know if any, I don't know if any of that helps. Yeah, I think so. I think too, like, like part of my Kairos is like wanting that for myself and then being able to reckon with that, like, for Spencer too, like for him to have female companions, like, you know, you're like what we're talking about earlier, like you revert back to youth group and it's like, guys only want one thing. Mm. And if they're being nice to you, that's what they want, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so it's like, okay, now that, I mean, specifically, like I stay at home, I'm not interacting with people regularly. Like Spencer's always out interacting mm. with people regularly. And then I have like, you know, I see certain relationships. I'm like, well, I don't, I'm not around you guys. Like what's happening there? You know? So <laughs> like, it, you know, it's for me, you know, and my relationships with people and it's like learning to trust and have grace, like for my spouse to have those relationships. And again, yeah. like it, not because of something that, you know, has happened or, you know, between right. us, right. something that I've learned and, and trying to have an imagination to, not freak out or that be like the first response like oh like you're going to lunch with this loan officer like she sure is pretty but that'll be fun <laughs> you know what i mean like trying to be practical and realize like yeah your first response doesn't have to be <laughs> crazy <laughs> you know so yeah so. yeah and that's that's good too just recognize that that's a kairos too you know yeah. that that's a kairos too so learning learn to i am um, I just want to say, so I don't know if this would be encouraging or not. I have no answers, Mallory. <laughs> Is that encouraging? Um, uh, I, I also, and kind of still do, but especially before I moved to New York, had just, you know, this idea that, well, men and women can't really be friends. It's like, not really. <laughs> and then um, when I went to New York, and when we went to All Angels, and even in New York City, people who didn't go to All Angels or who were not Christian, they just had such, they showed me what such great friendships hmm. could look like between men and women, married, not married, single, like everything. And it, but it took a long time, you know, and it just took seeing people do it, <laughs> like, over years for me to finally like put my walls down a little bit um, and allow myself to have those re relationships, feel comfortable with Isaiah having those relationships. Mm. So I just want that, you know, to be an encouragement for you to give yourself some time to um, just through the whole thing. And, and that I do think it, it can happen. 
Yeah. Thank you. Man, I want to share my kairoses with Josie. Those, <laughs> those like, are very pastoral words, Josie. Very, very, very wonderful. I'm, I'm receiving them as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a couple other reflections from me uh, on, on this whole thing. Um, I do think like the goodness of communion, that's one of the major, I guess, realizations for me, even in my own study and prep for the sermons that I've done um, in this series so far, uh, is like the, like that, that a big part of what life is really all about is communion. Like this is what God has created us for to sort of to to participate in a life together, right? With him and with one another in this sense of like intimacy and closeness. And I think that's part of the reason that it's been a it's been distorted and attacked, you could say, you know, like if the enemy's gonna attack something, he's gonna try to get in between, you know, male and female and, and also just any other human, any other human, right? Like he's always going to try to like uh, get in between there. And I think one of the ways he does that is sexualizes male female relationships where we can't think about it in any other way, except, you know, except in this way that ironically was meant to be one of the heights of communion, right? <laughs> like, the, one of the, one of the expressions of communion actually ends up becoming something that disconnects us, which is horribly ironic. Um, or, you know, he just gets in there with uh, just the violence and the contention where, where we, we start to kind of fight one another and separate from each other. Um, and I, th I think, you know, you'll hear this in this, this Sunday's sermon is going to be about the fall. And you'll hear this in this sermon as well. But I, I'm, one of the biggest shifts in my thinking over the past few years has gone from looking at sin. Like, what's the essence of sin? Like, at its, at its core, what is it? You know, at its core, like, what is evil? What is sin? Like, what is brokenness? Um, and I think I used to think about it as like sin is a rule, is a, is a breaking of a rule that God set up that results in punishments because you broke a rule. That's sin. So the essence of sin is like doing the wrong thing, you know, doing something that's against the rules. Um, but I think from Genesis and obviously, you know, the whole Bible, um, I, th I think the essence of sin is actually whatever the opposite of communion is. Like the essence of sin is to take uh, a person who is meant for love and communion and uh, other them, reject them, do violence against them, move away from them, disassociate. Like it's a moving away from being. Right? And so th this is the this is the fall, right? It's not so much God made a rule and then Adam and Eve disobeyed the rule and God's like, ah, I got to do the punishments now. Like it's not so much what it is. It's more, it's more that the serpent got in between the relationship there by casting doubt in like in the woman's mind, right? Casting doubt. Did God really say? And then what's happening is a separation there for her. I don't know if I can trust God. And that, in essence, is, is sin. And so, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm beginning to see it that way. Does that make sense? Is that helpful for anybody? Like, I'm beginning to see, like, the essence of, like, the goodness of creation is communion. And therefore, the essence of what's wrong with the world is discommunion. It's uncommunion. It's, it's, it's an othering. It's a pulling away. It's a, it's a boundary setting. It's a rejection, you know. And so, and what's God doing? He's reconciling all things bringing them back together, you know? Um, so anyway, that, I don't know why that's been, I'm trying to think about why that's been so profound for me and helpful. I think it gives me, I think it gives me a rubric um, for thinking about like what righteousness might look like in any and every situation, right? So what does righteousness look like here? It's not like what are the rules and how do we keep them? Righteousness is what brings people back together? Who are, who are alienated from each other. Like that's righteousness. It's communion. What brings about communion rather than alienation? I don't know. Maybe, that, maybe that's not profound for anybody else, but it has, it has been for me. 
No, that's, that's helpful for me too, Ben. That reminds me, actually, I don't know why. Maybe it's not connected. <laughs> but it reminds me of Almost Heretical and the whole Atonement series podcast about how Jesus is like this healer, right? Like the atonement is for like healing and restoring communion. And it's not about bad, you bad yeah. people, you did all these bad sins and now I have to come in and um it's not so much like um yeah, yeah. punitive but um just thinking through healing and yep. restoration. so yep. as you were talking about it i was like mm, I, I feel some like almost radical threads here i highly yeah. encourage the podcast for everyone else <laughs> yes i haven't listened to that series but i can oh. i can guess what they're talking about i haven't i haven't listened to that one on its own but but um but you're right you're right to connect those dots like um they call it some, sometimes they call it medical atonement. Yeah. That like, and this, the Eastern Orthodox church and the early roots of the Anglican church, I will add, like in the Celtic tradition, um, they saw, yeah, they saw atonement. Basically sin was poison that we had drunk that was in our veins and atonement is healing for our sickness, you know? And, but in the West, uh, they adopted legal metaphors for the atonement, judicial you broke a law, but somebody's going to take your punishment, so you go free. But it just feels like such better news to me, like that I'm going to get healed from something that's wrong with me. Maybe it's because I know that something's wrong with me. It's not just that I broke a law. No, there's something deeply wrong with me <laughs> that needs healing. <laughs> Preach. Right. I don't, I don't just need forgiveness. I need, to, like, you got to help me out here, Doc. So, Yes. Joel, were you going to say something? I want, I, want to hear, I want to hear from one of the Rockies tonight. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Our internet keeps going in and out, so I've been afraid to talk. Okay. Um, You're good for now. Okay. Well, I was just going to push even further what you were saying about, uh, about, about communion and that separation of communion mm. uh, between men and women, between... Uh, humans in general and say that uh, I think we could even push it further and that there's the that what happens in in the Genesis account and in in that fall is not just that separation of communion with with one another but with with all of creation and that yes um, and that that part of what Jesus does too is to is to begin that restoration of the way that we rightly commune and live with one another and with the rest of creation yes just, i don't know no yeah it's it's really good it's, i mean it's right there in the text right like the soil is now going to produce thistles and thorns for you yeah like this this is going to be hard now because you're in this state of discommunion with the earth like you were meant to like shepherd it you know and kind of bring fruition out of it but now it's like it's now it's almost like the earth itself is resisting that um, because of this discommunion. Yeah, which I think that the whole, the good news of not just communion, but co-creation that you talked about, I think fits with that as well. I mean, That's good. Jesus is restoring our vocation as human beings. Yes. <clears throat> as being co-creators. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good, Joel. Really good. Well, I was just listening to the sermon, so. Yeah, man, you, you, you're, making, uh, you're making some great connections. So, helping me remember what I said. Good. All right. Well, anybody, I don't want to keep us too much longer here. Anybody else have any burning thoughts that they want to express before we close it down and get ready for bed? All right, friends. Can I, uh, can I say a prayer over us? This is my favorite, uh, this is my favorite evening prayer. Let's pray. Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night. And give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ. Give rest to the weary. Bless the dying. Soothe the suffering. Pity the afflicted, shield the joyous, 
and all for your love's sake. Amen. All right, friends, we will look forward to seeing some of you, uh, actually just one of you, at my house on Thursday. If you, if you can make it, Becky. The rest of you guys all get together somewhere else on Thursdays. Man, I'm not part, I'm not part of the party. Yeah. All right. Well, now that, I'm, now that I'm super jealous, it's time to go. All right, guys, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Peace, friends. Bye-bye.